Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nasty, and I listen to them too, there's too lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello and welcome to Miss Katonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today is a good day. Here in Colorado, beautiful blue skies, it's a seemingly normal recording, absolutely nothing out of the ordinary for this episode. Well actually it is a special episode. The number 77 is the sum of three consecutive squares, four, five, and six squared. It's also a number that is a symbolic representation of luck. I, I kind of feel like this is an attempted takeover of my role as annoying math guy on the podcast, <laughs> Dane. We're going we're gonna to have to talk about this later. I don't know. <laughs> well, as luck would have it, we have a couple of very special guests on the cast today. We have MJ Newman, published author and renowned cat mom. <laughs> it's very true. As anyone who's ever seen me on a live stream can attest. <laughs> and Jeremy Zwern, world champion of pretty much every card game that includes cards. Hello, thanks for having me. As opposed to all those card games that don't include cards. Yeah, right. my my, fi- my favorite <laughs> card games are the ones that are mostly, you know, token-based. Right, yes. right. Pogs, those kinds of th- games. <laughs> oh yeah, Pogs are great. We like the collect-a-book cards. Right, Jeremy? Yep. <laughs> and Uno. Uno champ. There you go. Well, so we've had you both on the show before, but can you briefly remind our listeners why you're qualified to talk about Arkham Horror the Card Game, and tell us maybe a little bit about what you've been up to since the last time we had you on the cast. It's been about like 50 episodes, Uh, I think, at this point. Wow. Wait, what episode is this? 77. 77. Oh my goodness. That's a lot. That's awesome. Well, I I don't really know why I'm qualified to talk about Arkham, um, as anyone who's ever played Arkham with me can attest I'm pretty bad at it, but... (laughs) I am MJ Newman. I am the I'm a senior senior game designer at Fantasy Flight Games, and I am the lead developer for Arkham Heart of the Card Game since its inception. Actually, so how long has that been? Five years. Coming up on yeah. five years. Yeah, that's awesome. It was released in 2016, right? But I imagine you're working on it a bit before that. Yeah, I think it was October of 2016 is yeah. when it came out. Yeah, properly spooky. And then, uh, what about you, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm Jeremy Zwern. I a game designer at FFG. I've been working on Arkham Horror LCG for about two years now. I was the lead designer on Star Wars Destiny for several years before that. And yeah, lately, I know I've been playing a lot more games lately with, I don't know, 2020 was clearly not the, the greatest year, so <laughs> it's been nice to you know, get out and get some game groups going again and played some board games last weekend and been doing a lot of car games. Been kind of taking a, a time machine back to the pre-2020 years and played a lot of uh, LCGs that we had, a lot of, you know, ones that I was very fond of. Also some other card games like, you know, Lord of the Rings uh, TCG from Decipher. I really got into that for a while. Devlin and many other card games. It's been kind of fun to take a, a blast on past year. That's really cool. It's been exciting. That was actually something that we wanted to ask you to about was, um, you know, I, I think we've heard that Obviously, FFG probably, like just about everywhere else, the office was probably closed and everyone was working from home. And I think we heard that you were doing like remote playtesting. Um, yeah. Is that kind of starting to come to an end? Are things starting to get back to normal these days? Or is it still still kind of strange for a while? It's probably, honestly, it feels almost like the end of an era in many ways. Um, because 
even though the office is like open now, we can go back to the office. Like there's no more mask mandate. We are basically mostly vaccinated, I would say. I, I think mo- I think almost all of the employees are vaccinated. Um, and so, yeah, the, uh, we can go into the office anytime. In fact, I was there earlier this week, which is pretty great. But like from this point forward, we they they saw like how hard and diligently everyone was working from home. And they were like, yeah, that worked. So if you want to just keep working from home, you can do it. And um, I think in that apartment, like I'm probably I think I'm the only person who like really wants to go back in the office. <laughs> like everyone else really loved uh, working from home. So I think that's probably going to be the new normal, you know. I mean, I imagine, I mean, Minnesota is great, but is anybody like, okay, I'm immediately moving to San Diego and just uh, working remotely for now, for now on? <laughs> so um, every position is a little different within the company with regards to like how we can work. Um, for developers, we're still required to like be local because we want to do live streams and we need to examine proofs. And like, there, there's going to be occasions where we need to go into the office. And obviously, now that we can play test in person again, like that's resuming. So that's great. But we can still work from home. So it's like kind of both. So no one's moving. I, I told my manager, I was like, so wait, can I move to Japan? <laughs> and he was like, no. And I'm like, oh. Time zones. I know. Yeah, time zones, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I've been enjoying working from home. It's nice not to worry about traffic or especially the winter with, you know, pretty brutal Minnesota winters here sometimes with blizzards and whatnot. And so I've been enjoying it. But I've, but I've been going to the office no. probably once a week here lately. It's kind of nice to at least you know get some of the normalcy back and yeah see some people in person we actually had our office picnic just last friday so that's true really fun to see everybody or most people in person again it's been a long time for many of those people so it was fun to do in a very relaxed environment and play some volleyball and i don't know just have a, a good time and I mean, and of course, the the sublime pleasure of holding real cards in your hands and shuffling them, <laughs> and dealing them out. We love that, right? It's oh, yeah. I, I haven't it's done that in a long time. I haven't pulled a token out of a chaos bag in ages. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it, it feels good. I mean, actually, that's not entirely true. I have play tested solo at home, and I know Jeremy has too. Oh yeah, but meet like gaming tabletop gaming is about the social aspect, so that was definitely missing. And um, the card game department, you know, we, we, we're on calls all the time. We do like a daily checkup on all of us. So we've seen each other a lot. But like, yeah, the wider FFG studios, like there are people last Friday during the picnic that like, I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in like 15 months. Like literally, I have not seen you. <laughs> You're alive. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they haven't <laughs> seen me in 15 months. So it's like <laughs> pretty different. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's good. It's, I think really impressive that everything is kind of kept going as it has during the whole pandemic and you you guys kept releasing stuff. That's really incredible. But it's it's also really great just to hear that things are kind of starting to go back to the way they were. Yeah, it's it's a, you're right. It's a testament to like how how great everyone in the company is that we managed to even like get like kind of what we have now like i know there were delays and stuff but like it could have been so much worse <laughs> we we really we really like worked overdrive to get um to to try to keep that semblance of normalcy um it was not easy well and as far as delays go i mean it's all opaque to us as as you know the fans the consumers so we just assume that it's always like that that container ship that was stuck in the canal for a while we <laughs> we, we assume it's something like that you know as it probably got stuck on the way over and even I, I'm kind of out of the loop too, because it's so far removed from what I do on a daily basis. But I know that that one container ship was like 
tip of the iceberg, you know, <laughs> like um, everything coming out of out of the Chinese factories and like everything shipping overseas from everywhere is just like super delayed. But I don't have any like specific details. I think for the whole board game industry, it's been like a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, it's been everyone. It's been everyone. It's definitely like all over. And it's not just board games too. It's everything. Like I ordered clothing from overseas and it just took like forever to get here. Like yeah. six months. It's crazy. So let's uh, I, I just kind of starting to talk about some of the new stuff that's uh, been released during the during the pandemic. So Jeremy, I think we heard that War of the Outer Gods was the sort of your first rodeo as as a kind of lead developer on a scenario. Is Is that right? Uh, I think technically Into Deep. I think I started working on yeah, before. Yeah, I think. The, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Into Deep and Lair of Dagon. I think you did first. Oh, very right? cool. They're yeah. I think they're very close in time, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Into Deep was the first one I really dove into. Yeah, that was definitely the first one for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, I mean, so as as someone who's been involved in developing the game for a while, but has kind of maybe more recently started to work on scenarios for it. Um, what was that early process like of sort of figuring out how how scenarios work and how to how to create one? Um, what kind of stuff did you learn? Oh, uh, it's a lot of fun. Like in too deep, I think I don't know. Maybe is my personal favorite that I've designed to this day. I don't know. Just maybe it's because of the first. I don't know you always remember your first, but it came along actually pretty easy like i think we had the story kind of you know plotted out so it's kind of obvious this would be the insmith scenario you're in insmith and so i remember thinking well i love you know shadow shadow over insmith so maybe we'll be inspired by that and make it like a an escape scenario where you start in the gilman hotel and have to get away but then we thought well let's maybe broaden a little bit more than that instead of starting a specific area maybe we tie into the first scenario where you you come out from the pit of despair on the on the far eastern shore there and you have your your vehicles on the far western end of the of the city so kind of thing all right well what can we do with that scenario i've i know one of my favorite things at arkham is like just big maps i don't know i just like that just going all over the place <laughs> lots of different ways to explore should I go here should I go there there's a lot of those in Innsmouth for sure yes so. <laughs> there is <laughs> and there's more to come <laughs> oh yeah there's some pretty big maps in edge of the earth so there was just one idea, like, what about, I don't know, what if we do like a maze scenario? What that look like? I've, you know, as a kid, I love mazes. I do them and make my own mazes. So we kind of cool if we had this scenario. It was all about just like getting through a maze. Like, what would that look like? So, so yeah, it'd be kind of fun to try that. So we thought like, well, well, if there's these barriers are blocking you thematically, it made sense. Like the townsfolk, they're trying to stop you and prevent you from escaping. So you kind of meshed in pretty well together. And it's just kind of fun to explore that just premises of what's like a, a maze scenario and on top of that we tied in more things together with like the the flooding you know it's kind of have these new flood tokens let's try to tie those in somehow so kind of put that into the story how you know the tide is rising and slowly taking over Innsmouth as you go and I love scenarios that are kind of push your luck where it's maybe not too hard to do the, just the basic premise but there's lots of other things you could do so how much do you try doing before time runs out and so I love sprinkling all those keys everywhere and then having flashbacks and then you know, really putting pressure and raising difficulty as a scenario plays through. Like I love having that aspect where clearly the flood tokens really push you to move across the map. We got the skull token getting harder and harder the more west you go. Yeah, some the, car the effects further get, west you go. <laughs> yeah, some car effects get real cool. tough. Like deep one invasion gets much tougher the further west you go. So. And even like pulled back, it's really annoying if you're the, the dreaded card yeah. that moves you east. The pullback like, no. is so scary. 
I was going to say, we, we really love it when there's usually there's like the one encounter card in a scenario, the one treachery that's like, oh, that's the one you saved the word for. Yes. And, oh, you yeah. know, us- usually it's ancient <laughs> evils, which is, you know, th- we're familiar with that. It's fun when it's something seemingly innocuous that the first time you saw it, you maybe thought, oh, I don't care about wording this. Oh, yeah. but, but when it moves you like past three barricades and now you're on the other side of them from everyone else and you're alone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. It's, right. it's terrifying. Mobs, yeah. Everything. Yeah. So there's lots yeah. of fun moments like that that, yeah, just I don't know, it really came together pretty easily over overall. I don't know, I was quite quite pleased. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things in that scenario when we were developing it that felt like a happy accident. Where like, for example, um, and maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that like I had written the story for Vanishing um, while Jeremy was working on the like foundational design for Into Deep. So at at some point, it was like. All right, so you're trying to get to the... We know that we're trying to get to the vehicles to get to the horror in high gear because we knew that that was the next scenario. And um, But I had thankfully, like luckily, from out of nowhere, written that Alina Harper's vehicle and Thomas Dawson's vehicle were like on the western end of town. Like I had just written that. <laughs> and so when Jeremy showed me like the the map and like how to get there, I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking perfect. I don't even have to change the story text. They're like, it's perfect. <laughs> yep. That is where the vehicles are. I don't even have to add that detail. Wow, it's that's cool. Just same yeah, was, same brain wavelength. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were we were definitely on the same page yeah. with that one. I think that yeah. the final product shows. Yeah, I really think it's a very solid scenario. Yeah, really excited to see players play it. You know, of course, when it first came out, I was checking out everything I could and what do people think and watching playthroughs. And so yeah, it was really cool to see that come to life. That's awesome. It definitely embodied the tension of those. What are those those puzzles where you have the little silver ball? And you have to get it to the other side. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Tilting. yeah. That's the like in Resident Evil Village. Yeah. Or, or like if you play like Breath of the Wild or something, you have those yeah. things where you have to tilt your, 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 your system. But with the added, I guess, stress of having like the water level rising, like you're just dipping it into like a pool or something. <laughs> this is making me concerned to play with Dane in real life. I, do you have a whole table that you slowly tilt into water? At, would you, would you play uh, this no, game, No Dane? comment. <laughs> yeah. Do not... Don't recommend actually putting your Nintendo Switch into water. Nope. That's, that's bad. <laughs> or, or your Arkham Horror the card game cards. Also, a bad right? Idea. Yeah, don't right. do that either. That no, would no. give me an aneurysm. <laughs> I did. I did want to mention um, going back to like the your original question. I did just want to bring up that like even though Jeremy joined the design team a couple of years ago and Into Deep was his first like full scenario. Like Jeremy's been involved in the game since the very beginning. Like Jeremy mm. play tested the core set. Jer- Jeremy play tested the game before it even had scenarios like I, I think like you played the very first version of the gathering yeah um i could be wrong yeah. but yeah like did he yeah. play with al the alligator or was there a different uh cartoon <laughs> animal that, that was featured? no we we had investigators at that point but jeremy <laughs> did play with the most busted card in all of arkham history that never saw the light of day thank god <laughs> good times the the original version of backstab do you remember that jeremy oh, yeah. oh my god I'm not even going to mention it. Oh, uh, that's 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 it's tantalizing, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll imagine it in our in our heads what it was like. I I, I assume that it just does like a three thousand damage instead of three damage or something. Well, we'll see. You're not wrong. <laughs> in practice, kind of, yeah, not actually, but yeah. So, you know, the other new thing that uh, I, I was going to say was released after ends, but that one is still it's still on the container ship for those of us in the U.S. But uh, Return to Circle Undone is basically kind of been released. We're, we're really excited to play that. We actually had um, a question from one of our friends on our Discord. 
is the the idea of having like a playable prologue in Circle Undone, is that something that uh, you might come back to in a future campaign? Or is that something that's sort of like a very special like one-off just for Circle Undone? I'm never going to say no. Like, I'm never going to say like, oh, we're never going to do that again. Because you never know. You never know what we're going to do. I didn't mean that like that. Like, you never know what we're going to do. No, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I do think that, so that was actually an idea that I had, like, really early on for a campaign. And originally, I think in my, like, very, very first outline, and by first outline, I mean, like, not first outline of Circle Undone, but first outline of, like, what future campaigns for Arkham could look like. I had originally thought of that idea for a completely different, like, standalone scenario or campaign kind of thing that never happened. And then when I was developing Circle Undone, I was like, I kept coming back to that idea. And I was like, I really want to do that. So I'm just going to do it here. And it it actually fit pretty well because having the, the appearance of the Spectral Watcher in that prologue kind of like hammers home its deadliness and its like spookiness before you ever get to see it in the actual like campaign. I like in horror movies where in the prologue, you just see some other character get completely murked. And then <laughs> when you are introduced to the real character, you're like, Oh goodness, please don't let that happen to this person, you know? It sets up the danger so. level, right? Yeah, yeah. Establishes the threat. I could see us returning to a, like a prologue. It probably wouldn't be the same style. Probably wouldn't be like four characters who are supposed to die. Because that was that's very much the TCU thing. But yeah, I could see us maybe eventually doing another playable prologue. That'd be cool. So uh, one other part of TCU was was the uh, actually the hybrid cards that are returning mm. soon in Edge of the Earth from the article anyway. In TCU though, they they were designed as upgrades into single class cards in that you had two different versions of Enchanted Blade, but this time they're actually different multi-class upgrades. How does this change the design process for these cards? Um so Jeremy can weigh in if he comes up with I mean if he remembers anything, but I the one thing that I remember was like it was really difficult to design those TCU multi-class cards because we're very much in the mindset of, like, this card has to do both of these things. Like, it has to be, like, for the Thompson, it was like, or actually, the Thompson's kind of a bad example, but, like, the, like, Scroll of Secrets, it's like, all right, this has to feel secret and it has to feel mystic and then it has to break off into two versions that enhance the aspect of that card that is that class, and that was, like, really difficult to design around, like... I think those five cards probably took the longest of any other card in, in that set. So when we were working on the Edge of the Earth ones, it was like, let's not do that again. <laughs> and we still wanted them to feel like they were the union of two classes, but instead of just being like, very much like this card does two things, or this card, you know, dips its toes into both parts of the color pie, instead it was like carving out a new niche in the color pie for each of those classes, you know what I mean? Um, so like, guardian uh survivor cards fit this particular niche and like guardian rogue cards fit a very different niche and like so on and so forth yeah i I would imagine that if you kind of know going in that a card has to have two separate upgrade paths that are aligned with two different classes that's just a huge it makes it probably very difficult to design it yeah and what made it even harder was that we wanted them to be all the same level and that's right yeah yeah that's that was very like what I've found in developing Arkham for so long is that when you assign a level to a card and then de- design around that level, that can be kind of difficult. It's a lot easier to just design the card that you think is cool and then like assign a level to it based on how ubiquitous you want it to be and how well it's playtesting and stuff like that. 
So when we were like, no, all of these have to be level three, that made it really difficult. And you can tell from like which cards got played and which cards didn't like that. <laughs> that made it really difficult to balance. Does that kind of happen sometimes in development? You start off with something at level zero, it turns out to be really great, and it kind of becomes like a level three or four card or something? That does happen. Although I would say a lot of times too, when something that's level zero is great, if it's like, if it's really great, like not OP, but just great, like we want it to shake up the meta a little bit, we'll just keep it at zero. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, that's too good to be level zero. And it's like, do we rein it in or do we just slap a higher level on it? And sometimes we'll we'll pick the latter. Sometimes we'll pick the former. Depends on the card. Hmm. Yeah. Did the the new investigators, did they influence your decision to kind of make those also multi-class upgraded cards? Yeah, I, th- I would say like originally it was like, okay, so we're going to do these five investigators and then we're going to do multi-class cards. And then like... It happens to fit really well because those investigators have the the weird deck building of like they can only take stuff from like the their secondary class when they level up. So it made designing that multi-class card pool really interesting because you'd have like all right, like a guardian seeker card that's level zero. These two characters can take it, but a card a guardian seeker card that's level four, only this character can take. Mm. But then all other seekers can take it. So it's just like really it was very intricate and very weird, um, but it made it easier to to include a card pool for those investigators that like fit. I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's I'm a, a big fan of the multi class cards. I just think they're fun and interesting and just look cool. So with I have these investigators, this might be a, a good time to return to those and take them for you know a little different twist, unlike the ones we didn't return to or the not return to the circle undone. So yeah, it's kind of fun to yeah explore a little bit further what we could do with multi-class cards and and yeah instead of just having you know two classes you know it's kind of fun to think what would you know more than that look like and <laughs> hints hints three color hint, four hint. color yeah very very exciting <laughs> at a certain point it just becomes neutral <laughs> exactly right. that's, yeah that's the yeah. problem though we did try yeah like what would like a yeah four class card look like like that's just one way to be neutral it's not very it's like that's just neutral it's like... everyone except mystics mystics don't get this <laughs> everyone else gets it yeah that would be the only one that makes sense <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of exciting new stuff coming in Edge of the Earth. Obviously, most of it is still kind of hush-hush, but we were kind of curious about, you know, now that all of the player cards are coming out in one big box, does that open up any possibilities for things you couldn't do before? I, I guess we know that you already, you mostly did playtesting with the whole set of player cards from a cycle, right? So it was kind of already mm-hmm. like this? Yep. Yeah, it actually, as far as player cards go, I would say it doesn't really change that much right. uh, on our end. Player cards have always been designed with the idea that you can buy any pack and they just slot in perfectly like early on in the game's development we made sure to make the rules in such a way that you don't need like the lower level version of a card to use the higher level version right Mm -hmm. like you don't need level zero shortcut to use level two shortcut or whatever you can just like buy any pack you can buy dark side of the moon from out of nowhere and use the player cards in that pack and it's fine um, the only exception to that rule being like the untranslated cards that you translate. That's like the one exception. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, it kind of doesn't change much with the player with the investigator box because you're right. Like, um, as far as we're concerned, it just you know we do exactly what we used to do. We just don't split it up into packs at the end. That's all. I guess the one card it does change is the translating, like that those cards that evolve 
you just get all of them. You don't have to like wait for the you don't have to gamble the, on you it. know the upgraded <laughs> version. Yeah, you don't have to gamble on it, which I kind of miss, but I also recognize it's probably more friendly. <laughs> I, I, I guess players that really want to avoid spoilers could just hide their upgraded, sure. untranslated cards until they've you know. Put yeah, a you can translate it and then view it. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. So uh, with the new release model, uh, players they can play this whole campaign at once instead of waiting for Mythos packs. Uh, does that mean we shall be playing, uh, planning an all-night Twitch stream on release day to see who can get the first <laughs> Edge of the Earth uh, hardened achievement, uh, just like our, our old MO days? <laughs> yeah, like like Ragnaros or something. Like who right. can who can finish first? <laughs> I mean, that'd be fun for sure. Like it's yeah, sure. I mean, the weird thing about Edge of the Earth is it's got a variable length, so We've you could that, yeah. you could blow through it real fast and then be like. We did it. <laughs> Needs to be a victory condition there. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Speed run. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there will be some people who do that, but um, you know, there's a lot of content in the campaign if you're actually playing it like like a full campaign. So you can spread it out over. I I expect most people to play a scenario or two a night. You know, like that's when I'm playing. That's like my limit, right? <laughs> like I can't play for more than like two or three hours without becoming fatigued so i expect most players to take a, a bunch of sessions to play it that's also Zan- dan's limit somehow i get a little fidgety if the scenario goes longer than like uh, three <laughs> three and a half hours but that's you know that that's that's a personal problem that's just me. um i do i do have a, a fun suggestion that i was just thinking about for making because I, I was thinking about this and i realized i think edge of the earth it's going to be the first time we've had arkham uh horror the card game stuff set in the entire southern hemisphere i think so my idea, if if you're playing Edge of the Earth with your friends and you want to feel like you're really in Antarctica, when you're in the Mythos phase and you're drawing encounter cards, you start with the lead investigator. Instead no of going friends. the normal way around the table, the Coriolis <laughs> effect, I think that we should all go around in the other direction. Uh, I ruined your joke by guessing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that just, yeah, again, it. same that's wavelength, great. right? It's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I plan to insist on that when we're, when we're playing. And I just, I, f- I feel like that's going to help me feel like I'm in Antarctica, you know? I think not just the mythos phase, but just any time something says in player order, exactly. player order is now counterclockwise. Yeah, yeah, done. That's that's just science. It. That's just how science yeah. works. This is a much yeah. better suggestion. I, I didn't know where Dan was going with this. I was assuming there was be ice water involved or something, or like <laughs> play inside the freezer. freezer to get the environment. Yeah, get the environmental effect. But no, this is much better. All right, here comes my cat. Oh yeah. Oh. So. So. Uh, the uh, taboo list. We had a recently released one where we saw some changes there. Uh, I think a bunch of cards got modified to be removed from game. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for uh, Pennant of the Queen. A little too good for this world. A little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and you said before that at any given time, uh, you have cards that are candidates for the ta- taboo list, there, but they aren't completely certain the best way to taboo them. Can you talk a bit about maybe specific times when you knew it was time for a card to go on the taboo list and what really made you pull the trigger? Well. I mean, I can't talk about any that are on watch, so to speak. <laughs> I love that. It's like, hey, you, you're on watch. <laughs> like, we're watching you. <laughs> and the card's like, well, what do I do? There's like a whiteboard with crosshairs on it at, at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, basically, I, yeah, we like I have a notepad document that's just filled with like cards that we're watching. You know what I mean? I picture it's like a conspiracy theory board. And like once there's too many strings attached to a specific card, that's what it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of a specific example from this taboo list. Um, 
Jeremy, can you think of one? I think like I think just recurring some some of these cars over and over is going to be very problematic. Right. It's so a very simple solution. Yeah, just remove it from the game. That way, people that used to play the card probably it won't affect them because they played it normally. They didn't try to abuse it. Right. But those people that try to abuse it, they would greatly abuse it by recurring over and over. And this is for them. Like, all right, you had your fun. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I might have done a deck or two that had a. <laughs> That had watchful peace in Speaking there. of greatly abusing cards. <laughs> Definitely Uh-oh. feels justified. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ben, how many times did your Silas deck play watchful peace in, uh, uh, in Into the Maelstrom? I don't know. It wasn't that. I felt like I could have done a lot more if I went hard into Bless, but it was definitely six or seven times, which <laughs> felt was... like six or seven times too many. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. that's too many times. <laughs> it, so... it was really fun, but I think even as it was happening, we were like, yeah, this is going to get tabooed. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good thing that when, most of the time when something goes on the taboo list, people are like, yep. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, I know there's not the... a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of like whining about it. Usually everyone's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the pendant was one that was really, um, if I remember correctly, that was like pretty hotly debated during the last taboo list. So what was that? 1.6. We had a lot of debate on like how to best taboo the pendant. And we went back and forth for a long time, settled on the, the chained version, and then wound up like, and I think it was me, actually, I was like, oops, we should, I, I should have listened to Jeremy. <laughs> I don't remember it. Was that the pendant or was that? Yeah, we um, definitely went back and forth on that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's nice not to have to like change a car like with a Rado. It's kind of nice to you know, chain it. So yeah. during deck building is the only time it affects it. While the card you're playing, it still does what it says. So I prefer that, but sometimes it's not enough. So in the end, we're like, yeah, yeah. pendant is still abusable. So let's just errata it. And, and it is it is optional. So that's, that's a good thing, too. Yeah. And we, we kind of went like, we kind of went ham on the mutations with this one. Almost as a test, like, so the taboo list is a, is this weird thing that we've never done before in any other game of, like, you know, kind of optional errata. Um, like, in Lord of the Rings, we would just errata it, we'd just straight up errata it, and right, it would be changed yeah. in every reprint and, like, all that stuff. But, so this is, like, this weird co-op kind of, like, you might even call it a half measure, but it actually works really well for co-op um, for a number of reasons. So we're kind of experimenting. Um, as we go. And so for 1.7, it was like, we had a lot of mutations in the, in the list already. So we were like, you know what, let's, let's go full in, let's go all in on mutations this time and see how people react to it. So that we can kind of accumulate data on like, what aspects of the taboo list do people like? What aspects are working? And actually, I think the reception to the mutations was very positive. A lot more positive than I expected. I expected a lot more pushback. So um, that's good. It doesn't mean that we're going to keep doing mutations forever, but it certainly means that um, we're a little more open to it than we used to be. Stuff like the the, the Springfield change was like a big one for me. Yay! So that that was yeah. really cool. It, it's it's really neat because it seems like it's sort of cards that just didn't really get the attention when they were first released or didn't get played a lot. There's opportunities to kind of like make them more exciting. One thing we were wondering about is, have you ever thought about doing that with investigators? Like, if there's an investigator that a lot of people aren't playing, have you ever thought about, like, now you get four bonus XP if you pick this investigator or something like that? We've certainly talked about it. Investigators are tricky because they make a bigger splash in the card pool when you make a change. Like, you change one card, whatever. Like, people who take that card, their decks are different. But you change an investigator, that's like, you know, 
uh, whatever, one thirtieth of the people playing the game are going to feel that change, right? Mm. So it's a bigger deal when you change an investigator or when you're errata investigator, but it's definitely on the table. The tricky part with like the Springfield change and the Scroll of Secrets change, and the reason why we've been doing it very sparingly, is it opens the floodgates, right? <laughs> it opens the door to all kinds of questions of like, well, what about this card? 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 And like, <laughs> that's not what we want. We don't want the taboo list to be like 40 pages long with like a laundry list of patch notes, you know what I mean? That you have to like tear through. And suddenly every every time you do an AMA or something, someone's like, justice for Henry Wan, make Henry right. Wan better. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Double or nothing, exactly. <laughs> and And while like, I definitely encourage people to talk, uh, discuss and talk about the cards that they want to see on the taboo list in future updates. Like we want to be very judicious about our use of the taboo list and what cards we put on it and what cards we don't. It would be much better generally to fix an underpowered card by including new cards that combo with it. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the mm-hmm. ideal, right? Is like, oh, you know, such and such investigator is not good. Let's throw four new cards into the card pool that make that investigator better. That would be my preferred way of dealing with it. So we'll see if that, you know, plays out. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's definitely really cool when that happens. And we also have these parallel investigators, so we have a chance to maybe revisit mm. some investigators that didn't get or don't see too much play and maybe give a new version that is, you know, more interesting or more powerful to, to give you a, an alternative. Yeah, those are those are really exciting too. Uh, we yeah we 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 want to ask you guys about those in a little bit. But um, w- one last thing about the taboo list though. Yeah. So one thing we've kind of talked about on 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 this podcast a lot, like recently, is uh, it seems like seekers have gotten like really really good over the past <laughs> couple of years. And, and and this is partly like we usually play multiplayer, and and we're usually kind of like trying to min max a lot. So maybe this is like not everybody, but um, you know, they just they 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 have a lot of fast cards. They can do a lot of things really powerfully. And we did see a lot of their cards get tabooed recently. Do you feel like this is mostly under control for now, or are there kind of more seeker cards that, that you have on this like taboo waiting list? Or basically, <laughs> how do you feel about kind of class balance with seekers, especially? So the taboo wait- waiting list that's called the <laughs> taboo bench, or in other words, oh, the, the tab bench. I like that. That's way better. Yeah. That's way better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say I think that like seekers are always going to be a very powerful class because getting clues is how you win. That's always going to be the case. And even though all of the classes can get clues in their own unique way, Seekers are always going to be the best at it. And also, Seekers have a lot of card draw, and card draw in card games is always great. So (laughs) Seekers are always going to be strong. There's not, like, they're not always going to be best, maybe, but they're always going to be very much up there. I think the recent taboo lists were not really to take Seeker down a peg so much as to fix, like, very specific, like, kind of abusive combos and, like, search effects that let you get out, like, all of your best stuff within, like, a turn and, like, really kind of not break the game, but, like, kind of break the spirit of the game in a way. Mm-hmm. So there, we're, we're doing kind of targeted, we're doing targeted cards and they just happen to keep being Seeker <laughs> cards. <laughs> yeah, and I know that, like, Seekers have a lot of methods of doing other stuff, too, like doing damage and whatnot. and. Part of that is just because we don't want any one character to be kind of left in the dust in any aspect and just like, oh, I've got nothing to do. There's no clues to get, so I'm, I'm done. I've, you know, or 
oh no, an enemy pinned me, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I have nothing in my deck that can do anything. So Seekers do need to have tools for evasion and combat and whatnot. As long as the other classes are doing it better than them, that's fine. And it's the kind of the same thing with, you know, Guardians doing damage and like other classes can do damage too. Survivors tanking and other classes can do that too. But, you know, each of these classes is best at something. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because everyone, like every class and every investigator should be sort of viable as a solo deck, right? Like, so everyone needs access to some cards that do a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, ideally. Like, yeah, I think it's important that you can take any investigator through the game and you're going to have a rough time with some investigators in some scenarios, but it's physically possible, which is not always the same for, I I don't think you can necessarily say that for every game. Although I think Marvel shares that in common, where like you can take any hero through and like beat any villain as long as you build your deck accordingly, you know? Right, right. Yeah. It maybe changes the way you build your deck, but you can. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's definitely a distinction uh, too between the way that like playing at smaller player counts and larger player counts. I, I remember I was listening to um, an episode of uh, Los Arquivos de Arkham uh, that they had you on. And you were talking about kind of your preferred player count being uh, like a three or four player count. Four is a little bit long, but three kind of seems to be that sweet spot. Three is my favorite. For me, I I love duo too. As the card pool sort of grows, does it become more difficult to balance these cards in kind of a one or two player setting versus three or four player settings? Is it harder to design cards that are kind of tuned for both at the same time? Whereas some things like like Guiding Stones, uh, for example, are, are one of Dan's favorite cards and, and just our favorite cards because they just, you can blast clues off of locations very, very easily. Right. And, and for me, Hawkeye Folding Camera is one of my favorite cards of all time, but I only ever usually play it in like one or two player because there's just, you know, that, that amount of scaling involved. Yeah, so I think the difficult thing becomes, as the card pool grows, it becomes more and more and more possible to build really highly specialized decks that are so good at doing the one thing that they're good at, and then you play with four people and you're all good at doing your one thing, and you're like a well-oiled machine, and you're just able to like like bang out all of these these things. Or uh, conversely, like to play a one a solo deck that can just do everything. Uh, the card as the card pool grows, that becomes more and more possible. Early in the game's life, that was a lot harder, right? Especially for like certain classes um, that just didn't have tools in every area of the game. Like early on, before lockpicks, like rogues had problems investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, before right of seeking, mystics, mystics had problems investigating. Before certain, like I've had a plan and and uh, the solution, seekers had a hard time dealing with enemies. And to an extent, all of those issues are still present, but it's become a lot easier to build that like all around flex deck that can do everything or to build like the super highly efficient specialized deck. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it it is something that we have to kind of keep our eye on because if it ever gets too out of hand, then that could become an issue. Although I think to a certain extent, I think the mechanics of the game help a lot with preventing that. There's always randomness in there with with the chaos bag, right? But but that is based on what you said. Yeah, is is there? There's this idea in in, in other games of like power creep is the thing that people talk about. Is yeah. that something that's on your radar? Like, is that something that is like a a, a thing that you're kind of concerned about, or, or do you feel like in this game, because as you said, there's there's special elements of Arkham that kind of keep that under under control. Um. So power creep is one of those things that is spoken of like very often in card games, and I think that there's like 
two different things going on. There's two different things at play, right, with power creep, or like two different definitions of it. And it's important to like differentiate the two. So there's power creep like this card is a two cost card that does four damage. And then in the next set, here's a two cost card that does six damage. And then the set after that, here's a two cost card that does eight damage, right? Like that to me, that's power creep. But power creep in the sense of like, the bigger the card pool becomes, the more my options become. And the more options I have, the better a deck I can build. I don't consider that to really be power creep per se, so much as that's just card games. <laughs> like, like That's just like <laughs> inherent to any game where you're building a deck of whatever cards you want, the more cards are going to be in the game, the better your deck's going to be. That's just always going to be the case. I'm kind of okay with that because that's like the fun of collecting cards. Oh yeah. Is building better decks. It's like building more efficient decks. And if you couldn't do that, the game would lose something. The game would lose like a bit of what makes it fun and like what makes you want to go buy more cards if like every new card didn't fit into your deck, you'd be like, well, that was a silly purchase. Why did I spend $40 on this? <laughs> you know what I mean? So as long as each individual card like has its place and has its role and like isn't just completely squashing another card, I'm, I don't view that as power creep per se. Even though investigators are steadily getting more powerful. You know what I mean? To me, that's just, all right, playing a harder difficulty. If that's like your experience, like that's fine. That totally That's what the higher difficulty is there for. Yeah, you've got the higher difficulties. There's even like ultimatums and stuff. Like there's so many, right. there's right. always more options, right? Yeah, the, the issue would be if as a response to investigators growing more powerful with the more expansions they buy, we just make every campaign harder and harder and harder. That would be more of an issue. <laughs> sure, yeah. But that's not generally the case. Like sometimes they there are like spikes in difficulty. But for the most part, we haven't had like a steady increase in power with campaigns. Um, what we've had is a steady increase in player skill. And then if it ever reaches a certain plateau where they're not having fun anymore, that's what the difficulty modes are for, where they can just bump up the difficulty themselves and they can manage that. You know, they can manage their own experience to a certain extent. Or they can enforce their own weird restrictions on their deck building. I've seen that too, where it's like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to build a, a weird, like, you know, Dexter Drake gunslinging deck where I don't use any spells, or I'm going to only use the cards that were released at the time of this uh, expansion uh, dropping or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, my kind of way of doing that is is drafting. There's kind of a wonderful mm -hmm. app on called Arkham Draft where you can like sift through X number of cards and build a deck based off of only a certain number of cards. So in that way, sometimes That's having cool. more than one option that kind of do the same thing really, really helps out for fleshing out decks and, and you wind up with this beautiful Frankenstein of a, of a, <laughs> of a deck. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, sometimes when you do something like that, you end up playing cards that you've never played before. Right. Because, like, whatever, your, your friend is like, oh, that card's bad, take that out of your deck. But then you play it and you're like, you know, it actually was kind of fun to play. Like, I liked the, the artwork and I liked the theme of it. And even though it's not the most efficient card, I'm going to include it from now on. I just like that card or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's why I lose a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jeremy, can you speak to that? Because like you, you build like really efficient decks. Like that's Jeremy's thing is that like he's really good at building super hyper efficient decks. But I, I would say like, am I right that like that's part of the fun for you? 
Uh, for me, yeah. You just come on from a yeah. competitive card game background. Yeah, it's just it's always fun to see what, what's like the best deck I can come on with. There are multiple decks, and then play them, and then yeah, iterate upon them and try to make them better. And especially against like different scenarios, like oh, this deck works great against this scenario, but not this one. So I should probably try a different deck, or if when I upgrade, try doing some different cards. So that's definitely a, a big fun for me. But I understand other players are, are very different and. Yeah, I can also have fun too. Let's just play this, you know, wacky weird deck every now and then just to change it up. I don't need to play the best deck every time. So I love just allowing our players to customize their own experience. So yeah, just creating these whatever decks they want. If they want to try a different, diff, uh, different difficulty, like if you want to play a wacky fun deck, I'll well, go ahead and play easy mode and you'll have a, a right, better yeah. experience. You don't have to play standard. You can go ahead and do what you think would be the, the funnest experience. Yeah, and we've seen some weird ducks. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Keep them coming. Our playtesters our play testers come up with some wacky ducks. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I seem to remember somebody talking on an, on an interview about some sort of Safina deck that Jeremy had that went infinite oh, or something. Yeah, so I mean, when we were playtesting Path to Carcosa, Jeremy went infinite so many times. This is with like previous versions of Safina that never saw the light of day. Because of Jeremy, <laughs> where like Safina could do things that she, you know, didn't end up doing in the final version, and so um, yeah, there were a lot of infinite combos. <laughs> yes, it's fun to you want to find something like that. This is cool. You play it once to show everybody. See, like this is possible. All right, what should we do to right. fix it? All right, and luckily during playtesting, we can easily do that. When it gets to the real world, right. then it's like, well, and then we got a you know taboos or something to to rein that in. Yeah, or just you know. Or just, like, let people do it for a year. <laughs> is Jeremy the main check against uh, these infinite combos? Is that... No, we have lots <laughs> I mean, of other testers. Like, no, we, I'm yeah. definitely not the only one. There's plenty of other great players out there. I don't get everything. Yeah. Like, I don't scour every single possible card combination. Like I focus on things that I think is, are interesting and some things that I kind of ignore. So, yeah, we definitely rely on lots of people to make this game amazing. Yeah, one of the, one of the challenges with playtesting this game is because it's a campaign game, very often, when we get to that phase where the campaign is done and we're playtesting the campaign, players will build like their favorite deck out of the cycle and kind of stick with it because they're playing through eight scenarios in a row or whatever. So we see a lot less like individual card combos in action in during that stage, during that like second half of the playtest. Um, whereas if this were like Lord of the Rings, when we were playtesting Lord of the Rings, we would come to the table with a different deck every single time, and that allowed us to really test like some wacky combos that we never did so i would say our playtesters we were split like pretty evenly between between players who like to experiment like that like jeremy does and like build like crazy decks that can do things that you've never seen before and players who build the kind of more traditional like oh this card works with this character done you know i think that is like that is what is so amazing about card games is that the same mechanism of sort of picking out like curating what cards you put in your deck is, you know, for some players that's about sort of like theme and narrative for other players. It's about mechanically trying to be as efficient as possible for others. It's about trying to do weird janky stuff. And it's oh yeah, it, it, different people just absolutely have amazing fun times with it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. My goal, my goal is generally theme, but every now and then I want to include a card in my decks that make the person I'm playing with go, wait, <laughs> how did you do that? Like, what did you just do? You know what I mean? Um, to like, you know, Stella doing like I'm gonna fail a test, and because I failed this test, I'm gonna do this and this and this and this and this and this, and then I'm gonna do the test again. <laughs> That's always fun. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so there's one kind of random thing that we've just been really curious about when it comes to player card design specifically. So sometimes there's a card that interacts with enemies. It's like a, a fight card or an evade card or something. And some of these cards say, you know, uh, doesn't work on elite enemies or, or it has like a different effect on non-elite enemies right. and some don't. We're just really curious about what's the thought process like for deciding which enemies are elite and how that has to be reflected in what player cards can do. That is a good question. I would say, generally speaking, we we put the elite trait on enemies that we think are of such vital importance to the structure of a scenario um, or the story being told that we don't want them to be just, like, sidestepped, right? Mm. So boss enemies, for sure. Like, if you take, like, the first scenario of The Circle Undone, it's like, you know, Annette Mason has to be elite. Like, there's no way. I don't want you to just, like, kill her in one hit. Right. You shouldn't be able to waylay her or whatever. Right. Yeah, waylay is usually our, our test. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, like, but also sometimes, like, any huge eldritch entity that, like, it just doesn't make sense to be not scary. So, like, the Piper of Azathoth, for example. There's nothing about the Piper that says it's, like, part of the structure of the scenario. It's not really part of the narrative. And if you sidestep it, you might even never see it when it comes up because of the nature of how that card works. That's fine. But it's the Piper of Azathoth, right? Like, this is a big deal card. I don't want players to just, like, ignore it. I think, like, the Shoggoth in Innsmouth is another one, right? Mm. Where it's, like... Um, the Shoggoth? Yeah, and the mob, right? <laughs> yes. Um, also, specifically, I would say, like, any card that should never go in the deck. So, like, an oh, enemy yeah. that's set aside and then enters play where it has, like, victory, but we don't want players to, like, play a card that shuffles into the deck, you know? Like, close call, right? Mm. or a player card that's double-sided and has something different on the other side. Uh, I mean, an enemy that's double-sided and has something different on the other side, like the angry mob. <laughs> Those, like, pretty much have to be elite. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, I guess it's just, yeah, anything that you shouldn't be able to kind of, like, cheese or just, like, get past in some kind of sneaky Can way. Can an orphan you know? yeah. murder this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but then sometimes we'll do, like, a four or five health enemy that's just, like, a big enemy, and it has victory, and it's not elite. And that's fine. Because we want those to exist too. Apex Strangle. Like the, the Yithian in like the Agents of Yog Sothoth set. Like that's that right. guy's not elite. But he's right. pretty tough. Basilisk. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. Usually we reserve it for characters that are like part of the narrative. You know? Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. So you mentioned uh parallel investigators earlier. That was another thing we we really wanted to ask you about, because that's really exciting. I think everyone's had a really positive reaction to the ones that have been released so far. Can you just kind of walk us through quickly, when you sit down to design like a parallel for, you know, Investigator X, what are you usually trying to do? Or like, what are you kind of trying to like create out of it? So I would say it's a, it's been a little different for each of them. So I'll let Jeremy speak to Skids and, and um, Roland, because he designed those two. Um, as, far as, as far as like Daisy and Agnes, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to make sure that um, there is... It doesn't just feel like a better version of the previous investigator. So it's not just like, oh, let's just do the same thing that they're already good at and like do it better or do it differently or whatever. What we really want to do is kind of take this character and like put them, like drive them into a direction that makes sense for the character, but that mechanically we've never really done before with that character. So like for Agnes, like, Focusing on spell events specifically, like that's something that 
Agnes can do, but this version of Agnes really focuses on. And for Daisy, it's like, old version of Daisy was like, I'm going to play one tome and use it over and over and over and over and over again. It's going to be like my, my buddy tome. This is my companion tome. But with new Daisy, it's like, no, I'm going to play every tome that exists in the universe. And I'm just going to carry, I'm going to have my own personal library and like lug them all around with me. And that's like something that previous Daisy could do, but doesn't really focus on, doesn't really like benefit from specifically. And then like second goal was to make sure that the backside and the front side are designed in such a way that you can mix and match them. And not only that you can, but that you're rewarded for doing so with like four unique kind of like paths, right? So like OG Agnes front side and parallel Agnes backside feels very different from parallel Agnes front side and OG parallel OG Agnes backside. <laughs> it's almost like creating like four different investigators sort of. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. Yeah. So we want to make sure that like, we've had some early drafts of like some of them where like, we we would go back and be like, you know what, this backside is too like too synergy with this front side you know what i mean like it's they're too close Mm. together and so we try to do things to like break that up and like i think one of the coolest ones is like the the roland one where i i've heard people ask like why is the directive thing on the front side it's like that's so that you can mix and match him you know what i mean (laughs) yeah speaking of the directives yeah dane dane and i had kind of a chuckle when we first saw parallel roland (laughs) specifically right it was so I, i actually had a question maybe specifically more directed at Jeremy because you'd stated that he had designed it. What inspired you to create Parallel Roland in his current iteration, and how often did you play Adam in Netrunner? <laughs> I didn't play Adam a ton. I definitely enjoyed it. I think, I think MJ actually first came up with the idea, like, hey, should we kind of maybe take this, you know, Adam and maybe make, you know, Parallel Roland have... Let's just do Adam. Like that, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that fits story-wise. I can see that. It's definitely very interesting. Yeah, it's, Adam's a very cool Netrunner ID, so... So yeah, what would that look like? So let's let's try it. And yeah, right off the bat, I feel like this is this is cool. It's fun to be able to kind of customize your investigator like that. So that was a lot of fun doing doing parallel rolling and and yeah, I play that a ton. And to me, yeah, it's a kind of good example. His his corset version is, is still good and strong. It's you know very straightforward and simple. So let's try pushing rolling in the opposite direction. Here's something that's complex and different. And for people right. that are really mm. bored with, you know, normal Roland, all right, here's a version for you. Like, you should hopefully enjoy this version and get a lot of fun customizing your, your experience with him. And yeah, also the backside, we want to make sure that works with, you know, normal Roland. And just like you know, normal Roland's backside works with parallel Roland's front side. Like, there's a lot of different options there. So it's it's really cool to be able to, you know, bring, breathe new life into some of these older investigators, you know, especially the core set ones. It's, it seemed natural to do those first since everybody has a core set. A lot of people might not have played the Corset Investigators in quite some time, since there's a lot more cool, more interesting ones that have come along that, you know, it's kind of cold to the new. Yeah, what's a new one? I want to play that. So these parallel investigators kind of, you know, give you a reason to go back and take a look at these Corset Investigators and try them out again in, in, in a new way, kind of a, a fun twist. Yeah, so so that that's kind of deliberate to go back and revisit the older Investigators? You'd, you'd be less likely to do a parallel of, like, a more recently released one? Not necessarily. I think we naturally wanted to start with the core set ones. Just just do the core set ones since, you know, felt like a good start. Everybody has a core set, so even if you're a newer player, you get to see what it's like to have a, a parallel investigator, how, how, how it's different from the normal ones. But I wouldn't say we're going to necessarily go in chronological order. We'll probably change things up, and there's no real, I don't know, set pattern for all we want to do this yet. Just kind of, if we have a really cool idea, we might do this investigator if we... I don't have a really cool scenario I want to tie in with this investigator. We might do that one, or 
or yeah. you know, I kind of prefer maybe targeting investigators that don't see a, a ton of play just to let people, you know, give them a reason to go back and maybe try them out. Use a a new reason to, you know, I guess I won't give any specific examples. We only might be working on some of those <laughs> ones, but there's clearly some investigators that don't see much play, so it's kind of fun to target some of those ones, at least I think, but there's no rhyme yeah. or reason quite yet. Yeah, any, anything to kind of get uh, open up new options is, is, is really exciting. If you think about like Parallel Agnes just as an example, in, in the kind of fiction of the game, this is like the same person as regular Agnes. It's just like a different mechanical instantiation as a card. Yeah. Would you ever do like a mirror universe, like evil Agnes or, or like a different background? Like what if Wendy's parents hadn't died or something? Like would you ever do that as a parallel investigator? Is that too much of a stretch? Mm, evil Wendy. I don't <laughs> – I don't – well, I, again, I'll never say never because you never know. <laughs> but – um, that's not, yeah, that's not really the goal of the parallel investigators. Like, these are the same characters. They're just exploring a different aspect of their character. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think we would do like an alternate backstory version because to me, the investigators are the core of the IP. Like, that's the thing that mm-hmm. sets Arkham apart from just like the greater Lovecraft mythos, right? Which is open source. Everyone can use it. But like our version, What's unique about it is the investigators and like specific parts of Arkham that we've really kind of developed in the IP. So we, I think, sort of devalue the IP a little bit if we were to do that. If we were to make like, here's, here's evil Wendy and evil Wendy is different. <laughs> or here's like, you know, a version of this character who's a different career than like, oh, this is the version of, of, uh, Mark Harrigan where he never went to the war, right? interesting to think about but then you sort of devalue like who is mark harrigan like what is his thing it's like well there's two different versions of the character you know it's like in comic books where you have like 18 versions of batman it's like well who's batman then you know what i mean like 12 times right exactly like it gets to a point where it becomes sort of convoluted and confusing and you're not really sure who this character is anymore so we don't want to do that, especially in a game where there's like 50 plus odd characters and we want each of them to have their, to carve out their own niche. If we wanted to have that character, we could just make a new character. You know what I mean? So not that making a new character is like super easy, but you get the idea. I feel like this would probably be considered both convoluted and devaluing the brand, but <laughs> just based on what we were saying earlier with Adam, I want to put it on the record that we in this podcast are completely in favor of any and all like uh, Android Arkham Files convergence. Oh, sure. If you guys, if you guys want to send noise back in time and have a new <laughs> investigator with like an abacus or something, we would be, we might be the only ones that are really into okay. that. We'd be okay. really into that. I'll get well, on I would be into that too, because me and Jeremy are both huge Netrunner fans. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> yes. but I will say if it's going to be anyone, it's not going to be noise. It's going to be like one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Yeah, that makes it's sense. It's going to be Silhouette. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's going to be it's going to be either Silhouette, Khan, or um Ayla, I think. Oh, I love there's Ayla. so many, yeah, there's so many cool characters in that in that universe. Yeah. And if you don't know any of those names, go play Netrunner. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Do it. Absolutely. That's that's good advice for anybody. Um I think we're we're, we're kind of like coming up on on the end of uh, the stuff we wanted to ask you guys, but I all the stuff that's you know that's come out recently that you guys have been working on either in the pandemic or before. What do you guys have that you're sort of most proud of, or that you're that you're sort of happiest with of all the of all the design stuff that you've worked on in the last couple of years? What's like the most uh, feels like the biggest accomplishment? 
Do I do my usual cop out answer of just always saying <laughs> it can't be whatever the next thing is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like out of the things that are released, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think the tarot deck is like just almost released, kind of. Released. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. That's out. That counts. Yeah, that yeah, counts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Not because it's like you know, like a crowning design, like achievement or anything, but just because like it took so much internal effort and so much like convincing and so much like, um, like we had that idea all the way back from in like the original Circle Undone. That was something that oh, like wow. the, that when the art director came back with, with the pieces and we were like, oh my God, these are so good. Like these are so freaking good. Can we do a full tarot deck? Can we please do a full tarot deck? And it's like, that's a lot of artwork. Like that's 18 <laughs> new pieces of art, right? After the nine that we'd already, no, not quite that many, but it's a lot of new pieces of art. And it was just like, we didn't have anywhere to put them. We didn't really know what we were going to do with them. We just knew that we wanted to commission the rest. And we started commissioning the rest, to put it into perspective, during Dream Eaters. That's when we started commissioning all of the remaining tarot art. Um, Slowly, over the course of time, we just like, what if we just like snuck them in there? You know what I mean? Like we'll just like commission them and like. Oh, don't worry about that one. Right? Yeah. It's, oh, that piece. That's for a future thing. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But we we still didn't know what we we're gonna do with it. And um, our graphic designer uh, Joe Olson, our graphic design um coordinator, he was like, we should just make a tarot deck and like sell it as a standalone product. But that had its own challenges that are like. If we did a full tarot deck, then we'd have to do all the minor arcana, and that's even more expensive. That's like 40 new pieces of art. Like, that's way too much. We can't do that. Can we do it with graphic design? No, the graphic design team has not enough time for that. So we just went back and forth and back and forth forever until finally um, I came up with the idea of doing these like modifiers of like, well, what if it was like a game element? What if it was like an actual gameplay element? And then we could like really pitch it as like an expansion component and not just like a random like thing that you spend $30 on um, and just as a collector's item. Instead, it's like a real component. So we started going down that line and we tried to find like, all right, how do we package it? What's the price point? Like all of this stuff. And it kept coming back. Like, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not financially viable. It's not financially viable until finally I was like, I'm an idiot. Just put it in return to circle undone. That's perfect. <laughs> and like, as soon as I said that, everyone is immediately like, yeah, I mean, duh, obviously we'll Perfect. do that. Like that's okay. Done. Like done with this meeting onto the next one. Like it was so, <laughs> it was so plainly obvious. It was so perfect, both like from a narrative standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from a, a standpoint of like making sure that this gets into the hands of players and isn't just like a random collector's item that, that like only 10% of the audience buys. Like it was so perfect. And it wound up being a really good value prospect for players because we we basically threw that in there. Like, we didn't take up the spot of other cards. We threw that in there as a bonus. You know what I mean? So it, it wound up being perfect in, in almost every respect, I think. So I, I'm really proud of how that turned out. We're super excited to get our hands on those. Those are really cool. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Jeremy, how, how, how about you? Is there, is there one thing that you're, you're really proud of from the, from the recent times of the game? Yeah, I'm definitely very proud of the Innsmouth cycle. I think it turned out really well. We definitely pushed some boundaries with like new tokens. Like, what would that look like in a an expansion? Having you know the bus curse tokens and flood tokens, and yeah, it was really fun and interesting to go through the whole process of getting those to. So yeah, a lot of things changed along the way. So it's cool to 
just use the final product and get you know players feedback but I think a little bit maybe a little bit more than that I'm kind of proud of Edge of the Earth campaign like it's just a really another really mm. new experience where we could design everything all together we have like over 300 plus cards that can be used yeah. at once like how cool is <laughs> this 300 like, campaign or the player box a campaign player box is the campaign is like 340 something cards it's a lot yeah. Oh wow! Whew. So yeah, it just really opens up new possibilities. Like, like what do we do? Like, this is the first time we've been able to do this. Design all these scenarios all together. You can play them, you know, immediately as soon as the product comes out. Like, what's, what does that look like? What what should we do? So, I think we came up with some yeah. really cool stuff, and I'm really proud of that. And yeah, I'd love to go in depth with that, but clearly it's not out yet. So, <laughs> should wait a little longer. But it's I think it's well worth the wait. Yeah. Well, there is a, and and you mentioned blessed and curse tokens that you're running that back too, right? Because there's uh, there's frost tokens coming in uh, yeah. Edge of the Earth, which people are already calling snowkins. Snowkins, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's not us. That's somebody on uh, Discord or something. And you have to like put a picture of Snoke on them. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man, no, that's much worse. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That's awesome. That's probably a copyright violation or something. Yeah. yeah. Yo, does an FFG have Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fine we'll just sneak that past licensing oh, yeah. they won't notice <laughs> <laughs> they won't mind no one will no one will get mad about it <laughs> actually if i can answer in jeremy's stead i mean i think that the the other product that jeremy worked on that we can't talk about i'm really proud of that mm. oh, tantalizing <laughs> it's, yeah. i already forgot about that what, what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, st- Jeremy, just stay tuned to the FFG website. And okay, thanks. Thank you. There you go. Wow. Next year Thank so, you. So. Thank you, FFG marketing. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You want your job? <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I, that's, I think that's all the actually important stuff that we wanted to ask you guys, but we have a, we have a lightning round prepared, Ooh, right, Dan? We sure do. So, so this is going to be a, a small gauntlet of fast questions that we're going to ask you that may or may not pertain to the new investigators. So Dan has downplayed the importance. These are very important questions. I don't know okay. why. <laughs> okay. They're very okay, important okay. questions. Yeah, that's my bad. Yes. Very important. Let me get into the mindset. Okay. Very important questions. Okay. Those other questions, nothing. These are the important yeah, ones. Okay. Yeah. Got it. These are the big ones. Okay. So if you were in a car with Daniela yeah. and Wendy Adams and your engine suddenly malfunctioned, who would you trust to repair it? <laughs> uh trick question because daniela works on motorcycles most, most oh, often so that makes yeah sense. there we go so i would trust wendy yeah wendy knows a lot about cars daniela is really the motorcycle person so yeah how about you Jeff? <laughs> uh i'd still go with daniela i'll i'll trust your skills can translate to cars pretty well she probably has a bunch of stuff to commit to it so she'll be she'll, she'll be good right she'll be fine, she'll be fine. yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> All right, so the next question. What are some of the most thematic cards for Norman Withers to randomly find on top of his deck? Mm, just, like, stars. <laughs> like, no, like, you, you, you pick up the card and you're like, oh, it's just a bunch of stars! And everyone's like, Norman, like, you're not even looking up. Like, shut up. Like, he, he's looking at a puddle, but it's being reflected, like, uh, you know. Right, yeah. No, I swear, it was right here. <laughs> we were looking at the spoiler, and, and Dan identified one of the new cards as Space Dog, and now mm. I'm just going to see that as Space Dog for the rest ooh, of the ooh, ooh. I actually have a semi-serious answer. I think one of the random things that you might see at the top of your deck if you're playing Norman is Jeremy. Really? Oh. Ooh. That's very <laughs> exciting. Uh, <laughs> I also forgot about that. Enlighten me. <laughs> I mean, we had a guess that he might make an appearance because it's his little, his art there has got some, looks like some stone in the background. Yeah, and on, some so. uh, northern or <laughs> southern lights, maybe. Is it Jeremiah Kirby? <laughs> yes, it is. 
<laughs> we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. So yeah, there's definitely a very sentimental car that I really like. So <laughs> I just remembered. I'll have to go play with it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. There are now three intrepid explorers among the game's investigators: Monterey Jack, Leo, or as we call him, Larry Anderson, and Ursula Downs. If three of them were to go on an expedition, who would be the lead investigator? Mm-hmm. Who takes charge among those three? Um, that's a tough one. I would say Ursula. I think Ursula. Because if Leo leads, everyone else dies. That's like the rule. <laughs> if Leo's on an expedition, everyone around him dies. Except for Mitch. That's like, that's the rule. You know, we didn't think about that when we were making this. We question. don't want him leading. We don't want him leading. So. It's a fair, fair point, yes. Yeah. I'll go with Monterey, because I know that's MG's favorite. <laughs> Shut up. I'm really excited for Monterey Jack, but I, I gotta say, I think Ursula might be the right answer, because she's the leader by default, because you just you look over and she's already moving in some direction to go do something. You have to follow her or you'll lose right. track of her. I mean, to be fair, if you're if you're playing a campaign with both Ursula and Monterey, it's just that. It's just like, where did you guys go? Like, come back. We're trying to do this location. Where are you going? Okay, next question. Lily spends a lot of time perfecting herself. But what is her guilty pleasure? Hmm. And it can't be karate. That's her normal <laughs> thing. It has to be like a guilty pleasure, right? Cheese? What, what type of cheese, Jeremy? Swiss. Swiss cheese. <laughs> uh, Could this be an allusion to another one of the investigators? <laughs> Maybe. Swiss cheese is delicious. All the allies in Edge of the Earth are just named after different types of cheese. <laughs> and for the record, her thing's not karate, it's Wing Chun. Oh, no, uh, I should have that. That is true. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, guilty pleasure. I don't know if Lily has a guilty pleasure. <laughs> She's wow. so, like, dedicated. I think, if anything, her guilty pleasure would be, like, relaxing. Like, I think she... I, I have this vision of Lily as such a... She's so burdened by her purpose. And I'm doing, like, a really serious answer to this silly question. But, like, she's got, like, the weight of the world on her shoulders. You know what I mean? So, the idea of her just, like, kicking back and just, like, taking a breath... To her, probably feels guilty. She probably feels like, I should be up and doing something. I should be investigating. I should be fighting. I should be whatever. But it's like, no, just like, man, <laughs> eat a burger and just relax for a second. <laughs> you know? A cheeseburger. A, cheese- <laughs> a cheeseburger. I mean, I, I imagine it maybe like like the Avengers. Like, after Edge of the Earth, if they survive, they all go out for burgers. You know? They all go out for shawarma. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, next question. When Bob lands a sail, what's his catchphrase? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've, you've seen it before in video games and things where you'll see, like, oh, welcome to the circus of value immediately ingrained in your brain. Booyah. He's a salesman, right? He loves to sell stuff. or He's, he's good at it, probably. I think it's any line shared by the merchant from Resident Evil 4. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. Stranger is stranger. I'll buy yeah. it at a high price. <laughs> The guy that famously and inexplicably charges you money for weapons that you badly need to prevent zombie apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then never shows up ever again. That does seem like a role right. Bob would fill. Right. Sells yeah. you a rocket launcher, gone. Yep. We're, we're very excited for Bob. Bob's going to be great. Yes. Bob is great. Jeremy, what do you think? Catchphrase? Um, I don't have a catchy one. You guys have anything? Yeah, surely you must have come up with an answer for this, right? I'm going to do a lot of Glengarry Glen Ross quotes when playing Bob. It's, <laughs> it's my basic plan. Okay. The joke was, if he opens a store, it was going to be, what is it, Bob Shop's Pop, Pawn Shop or something? <laughs> yes, be Bob Shop's Pawn Shop. <laughs> Bob Shop's Pawn Shop. See that ten times fast. So, uh, no. <laughs> we tried it. <laughs> it 
doesn't go so well. It's also tricky because like that's all that's about selling stuff to the store. And Bob is probably more of a Bob wants to sell you things, right? Hmm. So I don't know. Bob, yeah, Bob was Bob was so much fun in playtesting. We had so many fun moments. I mean, I think that this game is best when you have like funny, memorable moments that like stand out in your mind. And for me, it definitely is like um, I can't remember the exact situation, but there was a situation where like someone was getting absolutely wrecked by by an enemy, and I I just walked up and I'm like, greetings, can I interest you in this firearm? And they're like, just shoot the damn thing. It's <laughs> so funny. It's trying to make a sale. Because I literally I, I had it in play and I was trying to sell it. <laughs> I'm, ex- oh gonna, I'm expecting a lot so of that great. from Dan. Uh, Dan yeah. Dan's oh, really yeah. excited for Bob. I'm very what excited is, for it. What is his favorite characters of the IP, I think, so... <laughs> it's gonna happen, you nice. know. It's gonna be great. Well, that is it for the lightning round. I appreciate you uh, subjecting yourselves to being put through another lightning round gauntlet of <laughs> completely inane questions that we and someone's dad somewhere probably enjoys. Is there anything you'd like to plug, though, before we start the outro? anything to plug i mean we've already kind of talked about all of the big like upcoming stuff um with like edge of the earth and and whatnot we assume that our, our listeners uh buy every every arkham product uh, without reservation uh i don't know if that's true or not but we like to think it is so <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know either but i would actually estimate that like there's a lower percentage of people who do that than you might think but the good news is there's new people coming to the game like every day I see that all the time on like forums, like, oh, I just picked up the corset and I'm, I'm just getting into the game. Like, what cycle do I get next? And like people who were like, I, you know, I never actually ended up getting Carcross and Dunwich. I skipped ahead to like Innsmouth and, and Circle Undone or whatever. So I, I, I think like on average, maybe they've played like half of the cycles. And I think that's a really optimistic number, actually, because it means that there's so much more content for them to experience. So that's pretty cool. The best feeling. Yeah. Yeah. If everyone was all, if, a hundred percent of your audience was up to date, then they're all just waiting and you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I prefer to think that there's a bunch of people who who still have like three years of content to play through. I think that's really exciting. <laughs> and I think it's true too. And maybe yeah, maybe we should also recommend if you if you have played everything, recruit some people, you know? Absolutely. And uh you know what? The new core set is the perfect time. Here's my plug. That's going to be my plug. The new corset <laughs> is going to be the perfect time to introduce your friends and family to the game. One purchase. It's got everything you need. It's got storage built in and a lead investigator a token. A lead investigator yes. token. <laughs> and Roland looks hot. Like everything you yeah, need. Yeah. It's perfect. Brand new art for those guys. And Nate's stinky sock. <laughs> I eat dice pig. Chaos pig. Yes, it comes with a bag. Oh, it does. Oh my so. god. It comes with a bag. My. My battle is over. My war <laughs> has ended. Was that a hard hard sell to get in there? I mean, <laughs> it's not a deal breaker, obviously, because yeah. the game is doing just fine without having ever had a bag in the corset. But I was a big proponent of putting a bag in the corset, and um, it just it, it couldn't ever happen. So when we did the the revised core, I'm like, I'm putting my foot down, bag. You know what I mean? So I don't know. We worked. always use a bowl and we insist people put it on their heads to shuffle around the tokens. I was going to mention so. that. <laughs> I'm so. so glad that that argument is put to rest, and now I don't ever have to put a cup on my head and pull tokens. No, you can put it. a bag in your head too, though, actually. So it'll be. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually fine. Well, Andre, we were talking kind of when we were introducing you that you are also uh, an author, and, and supposed I, I am somebody who enjoys crescents and, and keys. 
Yes, yes. What what kind of book would uh, would you recommend? Um, might you consider <laughs> The Crescent and the Key, <laughs> a YA horror slash fantasy novel by yours truly? It's got both of those things in it, if you're a fan of both. <laughs> Interesting Darkly. <laughs> yeah, no, for real though. Uh, so Dark Drifters is my novel series. Uh, it's independent of FFG, completely self-published, um, so not published through FFG in any capacity. I need to just say that. But um, <laughs> yeah, you can find it on my website. You can also find it on anywhere uh, books are sold online. So Target, Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, etc. And yeah, it's great. It's about dreams and nightmares and the the line between the two and struggling against yourself to find the truth beneath uh, your, your, your real identity. That's what it's about. So yeah, definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. I've heard people say that they like it. <laughs> I can confirm. My partner and I both have a copy and we love it. Oh, nice. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mentioned my website. My website is www.bewaretheblackcat.com. Oh, yeah. Because you've got a, you've got some really neat uh, blog articles on there that we've read actually. Too. Oh, yeah. 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 Which I haven't updated in two months. Sorry. But um, yeah, I do some I do some interesting like introspectives, some uh, Arkham design stuff on there and hopefully more soon. That'd be cool. Yeah, Jeremy, is there anything you wanted to plug, Arkham or otherwise? Um, well, I guess this isn't a for sure thing, but if, you know, Arkham Knights happens this year, I'd love to see as many people there as possible. It's always a blast to do. I remember playing with you guys two years ago with, with uh, or whatever secret scenario, and, and it's just a ton of fun. So, I mean, fingers crossed, you know, we can do something like this this year again. And, you know, worst case scenario, I'm sure we'll we'll have a Arkham Knights next year, which, which yeah, I'll definitely be, be there and look forward to. Heck yeah! Our fingers are extremely crossed. We we <laughs> we, we love Arkham Knights. We would we would love to to come back with, to do the pilgrimage to to Minnesota. So if that happens, we will we will be there, and we hope everyone else will be too. Awesome! Nice. I would love that. I need to break out my nightmare deck, my keeper's nightmare. <laughs> oh boy! Oh man! We haven't touched that in ages. Yeah, has it been collecting dust, or have you just been making it scarier? That's right. um, not only has it been collecting dust, but actually, my uh, my good friend and you know friend of Arkham community, um, Josh, made a uh, who I'm doing Call of Cthulhu live stream with. Um, he made a con- like a special box for it because he he 3D prints stuff. Ooh, so he made it. He 3D wow. printed a special box for the Keeper's Nightmare, and uh, he he made one that was pink just for me. So nice. Yeah. So I'm excited. Also, in addition to Arkham Knights, we are going to be doing something for Gen Con. Don't know what yet for Gen Con online. Um, mm. So probably a live stream of some kind, but I don't have any other details to share. But definitely keep, stay tuned for that. When's Gen Con? September? Yeah. So yeah, I guess tune into that. Hopefully we got some some, some cool stuff. Because yeah, I, I really would love to yeah, see more people in person. It's, it's, it's starting to happen where yeah, I can finally go out and play some games and you know try to get back to some normalcy. Absolutely. I agree. Having a social life feels so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It really does. But with that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Again, MJ and Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. If, if you have, uh, listeners, any weird questions about Al the Alligator or, or other things, <laughs> come hang out with us on Discord. Reach out to us on Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, or email us at comments at mur.fm. If you really love our show and want to get more involved, Join us at patreon.com slash Radio to get access to exclusive Discord channels and other fun stuff. Or just leave us a nice review on your favorite podcasting network. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be safe, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.